Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I'm so privileged to be able to stand before you and preach another message. We're going a little over two years now in our little house church in McKinney, Texas. I want to welcome everybody into my home. God bless you, and it's a pleasure to have you in here and able to hear the word of the Lord today and be with me today. And I want to welcome everybody coming from SoundCloud or Sermon Cloud or wherever you're coming from. I want to bless you as well, too. And I want to thank you for being in our home today and and listening to this message. It is a real privilege for me to be able to get the words from God every week and come up here and stand before you or list, or that you listen to my voice over the internet or wherever you're coming from. I'm, uh, I don't take it for granted. I'm really thankful that the Lord has called me to do what He's called me to do and, and that I'm learning so much and I, and I hope you are too. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer and then I'm going to bless our service and everything and we'll get to my thoughts from last week in our, in our new sermon. So if you guys want to join me, please. Lord, thank you so much for all that you do for us, Lord, as, as my father just prayed, Lord. Even in the future, Lord, the things that you'll do for us, Lord. For, Lord, we know that you're always looking out for us. You were there in the past, you're here right now, and you'll be there in the future. You'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, Lord. That's your word. You said you'll be with us to the end of the age. And so, Lord, we know your words are true. And you are one that's good for your promises. You're not just some fraudulent, phony, fake man that gives these nice words that sound good, but you don't come through with what you say, Lord. You are the one that does what he says. And you're true to your word, Lord, and we can trust you. Thank you, Lord, for that. And thank you, Lord, for all your many promises and your grace that you give to all mankind. I pray that you bless this message, Lord. I pray you bless this time together, Lord. I pray you bless our ears, Lord, that we would hear you speak to us today through my mouth. Lord, help me. I've heard preachers pray this in the past. Lord, help me get out of the way today, Lord, and I pray that you would speak through me the things that you would have to say to these people today, Lord, your children and those that are seeking you and whoever else that that may be out there listening. Lord, I I just pray you'd bless our ears and help us to hear you and show us what's important to you today, Lord God, that if we care about you, that we would do the things that you say to do. Bless this message, Lord, and, and bless our time together, Lord. We love you and praise you, God. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, first, my my thoughts from last week's message, it shall not be so among you. This will This week will be in Matthew chapter 20 verses 29 through 34, but as I said, so if you want to be turning there as I'm going through my thoughts from last week, you can. So my thoughts of the sermon, it shall not be so among you. Focusing on the different way of a changed life that Jesus told and charged his disciples to live in verse 26, it shall not be so among you. This is what this overview is going to be about. If you took Jesus' whole teaching that we read in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, one word, just one word, can describe that whole section of Scripture. And that word would be called, or that word would be, excuse me, re-education. What do I mean about that? He says, You thought you gained power and authority over people or you thought it was good to gain power and authority over people by what? Becoming great. By getting the best seat. By becoming powerful and having authority, great authority among my people. But yet, not so in my kingdom. He was re-educating the disciples, okay, from their sinful human ways, to his godly and perfect ways. You see, after Christ called the disciples, they came just as they were, sinful man. But you see, the rest of the time that they walked with him, they walked with him with a humble heart, and he was constantly, throughout all the three and a half years of his ministry, re-educating them, as I said, from their sinful ways, their sinful human ideals and ways, to his perfect 
godly ways. We see salvation today for us is no different than it was for them. God calls people today the same way, just as they are. That's how God asks you to come to him. Just as you are. I don't care if you're a sinner. I don't care if you're a sinner. In fact, I know you're a sinner. In fact, you're a wretched, evil, mean sinner. But I want you just the way you are. Answer my call, God says. Come to me. And we're going to look at that verse in a second. Come to me. And if they come, if we answer the call, us sinners answer the call, and we come to him, which means we take a step of repentance away from self unto him, and we put our faith in him, then we get saved. God saves us. But then after we're saved, our re-education process starts with God. After salvation, God starts to re-educate his new child in all of his perfect ways. And then we have to decide to obey the leading of his teaching and walk with him in faith until we die. No different than a new child being born into the world. When you have a new child being born into the world, what do you have to do as a parent? You have to train that new child in all the ways in which you know that are good to live. And that your hope is that then that child will have those foundational good principles and live with those foundational principles for the rest of their lives. As we know, some children don't do that, but that's our hope as parents. Well, that's what kind of happens when we start, when we get saved and we walk with God. He teaches us a new way of life. We become babes in Christ. And we have to learn his new ways. Jesus Jesus actually said it like this in Matthew 11. God showed me that this week for the first time. He says, Matthew 11, 28 and 29, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, that's salvation. That's where the sinner comes, repents and turns to God, and they get saved. He says, and I will give you rest. Then he goes on in verse 29 to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Well, that's his re-education. Take my yoke. Okay, Put what I'm teaching you on you and learn from me. That's the re-education process. And the result? For I am, gently, or I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls after we do that. After we come and we surrender and we get saved and God then starts re-educating us, there's rest in that. I know I'm His. I'm following Jesus. I'm doing the things that He told me to do. Wow, I belong to God. Then you find rest for your souls. If you haven't come to Christ just yet, then I encourage you today, please make today that day. Surrender to Him now and put your trust in Him and follow Him. Start following Him. And then allow Him to start re-educating you in His perfect and holy ways and obey His education that He gives you. And as I just said, as a result of these steps, your life will be changed. You'll live a, a new life for God in Christ and you'll be radically changed and you'll have peace in your life because you'll be learning God's new ways just like the disciples did, and you'll be leaving your old ways because you want to be with God. Now, if you think you've come to Christ and been saved already, just a question, because, you know, we should always kind of be testing ourselves. We should always be examining ourselves. Has God, has Christ been re-educating you in His ways so that you do live a changed life that is more holy and more sinless because of it. Now by this, I don't mean that when somebody gets saved that they become perfect. Because nobody on this planet will become perfect. We will all still make mistakes. We will all still, unfortunately, commit sin. But are you, do you have an open heart to God's teaching and leading? And are you walking with Him in humility 
And are you allowing Him to change you and re-educate you towards holiness away from your sinfulness? If this kind of thing is not happening to you, then then He is not your teacher. Because if you're not allowing God or Christ to teach you, or you have no idea what I even mean, what do you mean God's teaching me? Then He's not your teacher because you would know if He's teaching you. And you're not His disciple And salvation really hasn't come to you yet. The mark of a true saved person is their lives, once they get saved, will start to resemble Christ's the more you walk with Him daily. Your life will turn from hatred and evil and meanness and spitefulness to love. Holiness like God. Godly character. You'll start to be hungry for the things of God. You'll start to want to live the way God wants you to live. You'll start to want to put your trust in Him. You'll start to want to say, you know what, I want to hear from God. I want to talk to God. These are all marks of someone that's been saved and they're walking in that salvation because they care and they love God and they want to be with God. If you care about your eternity today, and you want to be with Him forever, examine your life today. And be honest with yourself. Because you know what? You, you have to be honest with yourself. Between you and God. Be real with yourself. And think to yourself, has what you just said, Pastor Ed, has that happened to you? Has that, you got to ask yourself, has that happened to me? Am I being changed? Am I continuing to walk toward God? Is holiness becoming more of my life and sinlessness becoming less of my life? And do I love God and am I living for God more and more and more and more and more? Or do I just, I'm just walking with myself or whatever. You have to examine your life. If you care and you want to be with Him forever. If you realize today, I'm not there. I'm not there. You know what? I'm not. I, I, I don't know what you're even talking about. Then I would encourage you to take a step of repentance. Because the Bible says that if anybody be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, you could say, and continues to go your whole life. And the new is come and will continue to come your whole life. Because salvation is a process. And he wants to have fellowship with you. He longs to be with you. He longs to save you. So I encourage you, surrender today. For God loves you so much. He gave the highest price anybody could ever give to be with you. (laughs) So please, come. He wants to fellowship with you today. Come to Him. All right. On to this week's message. The name of our title of our new message this week is Their Cry for Help Made Him Stand Still. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Again, the title. Their Cry for Help Made Him Stand Still. Still, you can read along with me or you can just listen along. Matthew 20, verse 29 through 34. Bible says, Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still, and he called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Wow. Their cry for help made him stand still. Did you see it? Their cry for help made him stand still. That's just powerful, isn't it? That's amazing. Wow. So what do we have? What do we see? Verse 29. The last time we read of their location, Matthew 20, 17, they were headed toward Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be, I'm going to get there. The, the, they're they're, they're going to be betrayed. The Gentiles are going to murder me and I'm going to be raised the third day. 
since their trip to Jerusalem started, Jesus stopped on the side of the road, pulled his disciples to the side and said, Hey guys, this is what's going to happen to me. Remember, he gives them this important message. This is what I'm going for. This is what's going to happen to me. And right after that, the mother of James and John come and they start asking special arrangements for their boys. Hey, can my boys sit one on your right and one on your left? Now, location-wise, all this was happening. It turns out that the conversation with James and John's mother happened actually in Jericho. And how do we know that? Verse 29 just told us, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. So they were in Jericho, in the city of Jericho, when James and John's mother came. Maybe they lived there. Maybe that was their hometown. Who knows? But that's where they had this discussion with Jesus. Now, even though they had these delays, this last delay in Jericho, and then the one where Jesus pulled them aside, Jesus still has to go to Jerusalem so he can do what? He can finish his journey. He can finish his mission to die for the sins of mankind on the cross. So he couldn't stay in Jericho. Him and the disciples had to keep moving, as verse 29 just told us, that now they're leaving on their trip to to continue to Jerusalem from Jericho. But, also verse 29 tells us that as so often happened, they weren't leaving alone because a great multitude was following them. You know, many times, if you've been paying attention through my study in the book of Matthew, we see that as Jesus and his disciples went into these towns... If they went into these cities, what happened was Jesus had a reputation. So often, many times, multitudes would follow him and crowd around him and follow him as he was walking. And so, as again, we see this same thing here in verse 29. Jesus comes into Jericho, and then all of a sudden, his popularity, his fame, his, his what you would say, his reputation preceded him, and multitudes started gathering around him. Now, We don't read of Jesus doing anything particular here, but I'm sure that he was healing, teaching, or whatever, because you know what? People just didn't follow him for nothing. So our scene is Jesus and his disciples heading out of Jericho, and we've got these multitudes with him, and guess what? Jesus and his disciples are about to leave them, and the multitudes probably aren't going to follow them all the way to Jerusalem. So Jesus and his disciples are heading on to, to Jerusalem to finish their journey. Now, as Jesus is with all these followers and they're leaving the city, what happens? Verse 30, let's read it again. And behold, two blind men sitting on the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So here we have Jesus' next, what you'd say, delay. Two blind men sitting on the road. They're sitting along the road, probably off to the side of the road, just, you know, doing whatever they're doing. Probably, I would say, begging for money. They really probably, blind people really didn't have any kind of thing that they did. They were blind and there was no purpose that they served back then. They didn't have braille. They didn't have special things. They just, blind people were just like outcasts of society. They were the bottom low rung of society. They were just you know, almost worthless people, not to God, of course, and not to me, but in societal back then, they really didn't serve a purpose. So Jesus with his disciples and this multitude are walking along and here are these two blind men and they see him and they hear about him coming and they say, Jesus, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And so Jesus, he keeps walking. These guys hear of him passing by. Well, you know, a multitude's not very quiet, right? Multitude could have been thousands of people, could have been a multiple of hundreds of people. Well, they're not very quiet. So these two blind guys are sitting there and they hear the multitudes just talking about Jesus. And they were probably using his name or talking about things that related to him or whatever the case may be, something that he maybe just did. But they hear the name Yeshua or or Jesus in our English vernacular. So as they hear him, they start to call out to him for help, you know? And they have to cry kind of loud. Because, you know, you got to think a few hundred people or, or a thousand or so people, they're not going to be quiet. So these guys are really yelling at the top of their lungs. Jesus, oh Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. So they're kind of yelling out. They have to be loud. These people aren't quiet. 
Now, I don't want you to miss the most important part of verse 30, probably the second most important thing in this whole section of Scripture is what they say to him at the end of verse 30. And I've been saying it, and if you haven't picked up on it, we're going to dissect it. They cry out as he's passing by. He hasn't stopped yet. He's passing by. Jesus may not have even seen them. Okay, He had hundreds or thousands of people around him. He may not have even seen these two guys on the side of the road. You think about hundreds and thousands of people, there's, that's like a sea of people. Jesus had a mini sea of people that was all around him. And these two blind guys are off to the side. Not very, they're insignificant. They're not important. And yet they hear about him and they cry out and they say again in verse 30, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David, what did they say? Why was what why what they said? Why is what they said so important? They first say, "Have mercy on us, O Lord." Well, the word "Lord" that they use there means that the definition is owner, or or it's a title that a slave would give his master, or it's also the title that people gave God or the Messiah. So they were reverencing him. Oh, Master, oh, God, oh, Messiah, oh, my owner, have mercy on us. So they gave Jesus reverence, being two blind guys, and calling out to him for help, reverencing him either as Messiah right there, oh, Lord, or at least Master. You wouldn't just call anybody master. He, they weren't, nobody else just called out, Hey, Joe, master, help us. Oh, this is a special title. So they reverence him right away. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Help us. When you ask somebody for mercy, that means that they can give mercy. You wouldn't ask another person that's of your same equal to have mercy on you only if you did something against them. Not if you wanted their help, because they couldn't help you. They knew Jesus could help them. That's number one, most important thing they said, or an important thing they said. Number two, they reverenced him. They said, O Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. They give him this title of the Son of David. Why was this important? Well, you see, God spoke prophetically in the Old Testament of this very, to this very important man that he had called to himself to do this great work. He, he called this young man named David, and he called him, he was just a shepherd boy, or a shepherd young man, and he called him to shepherd his whole children of Israel. So all of his people, the Jews, he called this young shepherd boy to go be their great king. And you see, God prophetically told David at one point, 2 Samuel 7, 11, 13, let's listen to what God says to David. He says, Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. So he's talking to David here. God's talking to David. He says, David, I'm going to build you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, so when you're dead, I will set up your seed, so a son, a child of yours, after you, who will come from your body. So this will be some child from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. So God gave David the promise, hey, when you die, I'm going to make one of your sons king. Okay? Verse 13. And he goes on to say, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, now, if you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute now, there's no way anybody can do that, right? Can one man be the king forever? Of course they can't be the king forever, because we what? We die. And as people die, what do we have to do? We have to then elect a new son or elect a new king over the land if we're, if we were lived in a monarchy like they did. So one king could not live forever, but yet God just told David that he was going to build, that this new king that this, he was going to raise up was going to build a house for his name and he was going to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, this was a picture of what God was going to 
do through David, God prophetically told David that the Messiah, my king, my servant was going to come from your body and be king over my people forever. Well, this was a picture of God bringing the Messiah through the line of David, through David's very body. It was going to be one of his people, one of his descendants that was going to be the Messiah. Psalm 89, 3 and 4 tells us the same thing. God says again, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. So these guys, when they call Jesus the son of David, now Jesus was a carpenter, the son of a carpenter, okay? These guys gave him the reverence of calling him the chosen one of God, the one that came from David's body. They recognized him as Messiah. This was a messianic term that they used. This term was only given to the Messiah. This son of David wouldn't have been given to anybody else except for Saul or any immediate child of David, which they were dead for hundreds or, yeah, yes, at that time, dead for hundreds of years. So Jesus was given the title by these guys, these humble, poor beggars, thrown away by society as Messiah. So there, they reverence him. They say, Son of David, Messiah, Child of God, Son of God, Messiah, Jewish Savior, please have mercy on us. So there's a really important side note that I need to make here that's very, very, very powerful, I think. You see, these two blind, humble beggars figured out that Jesus was the Christ, or the Jewish Messiah, by the words or by the deeds that he had done. While they had never read a word of the Holy Scriptures, because you know what? They're blind. They could never read about Jesus in the Bible. They didn't have Braille Bibles back then. So these guys, just hearing what Jesus had done, realized that he was the Messiah. They maybe only even had the Scriptures read to them in their lives. Maybe not. And they called out to him, and reverenced him as Messiah and gave him great honor. Wow, if you think about Jesus' whole ministry, the prideful religious leaders who read the Holy Scriptures probably daily, they knew them better than anyone. Even Even able tradition tells us to quote them from memory. They also saw the deeds of Christ, but they rejected Christ or Jesus as the Christ, and gave him no honor. So these humble, blind, poor beggars called out, and they called it as they saw it, in humility. While the religious leaders were prideful and wanted their religious pride and gave him no honor at all. Isn't that awesome? We see that this this pure knowledge comes from the humble, and yet this pure knowledge is rejected by the prideful. That's a very powerful point. Now moving on. What did the multitude along with his own disciples do when they saw these two humble blind beggars calling out to Jesus the Messiah or the Son of David? Read the first part of verse 31. And the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. Do you see there again the picture of these prideful, self-centered disciples and followers of Christ? I mean, wow. What threat were these two blind, poor beggars to them with Jesus? Well, I can tell you what threat that they were. The multitudes and the disciples were mad and upset and concerned that these two poor dumb guys on the side of the road were going to take Jesus' attention away from them. Because what problem would these two down-and-out blind guys have been to Christ? Or these multitudes, these guys were nothing. As I said earlier, these guys were the bottom rung of society. The only threat that they brought was to take time away from the multitude and Jesus. In their day, blind people were cast-offs. 
They were useless to society. All that they would do is they would wander to a popular road, sit down and beg for money because they couldn't work. Jobs didn't, there were no jobs that blind people could do. They couldn't see. So these two blind beggars are sitting on the road. They hear of Christ, the Messiah coming, and they call out for help. And these pathetic followers of Christ, shush them. Hey, shh, don't, don't call out to the master. You're not important enough for him. I told you before, and I'll, I'll say it again. If Christ could call these disciples and do with them what he did with them, he can do, he can call anybody and he can turn the world upside down with anybody because these guys here, they had a lot to learn and they didn't even learn until after Christ died. They, they were taught by Jesus, Jesus' whole ministry, and yet they didn't learn until after Christ was dead and gone. So God can choose you and wants to choose you to serve Him no matter how inadequate that you think that you are. Just look at Scripture and you'll see how self-centered and selfish the disciples really are. So now, how do these two down-and-out blind guys respond to these selfish followers of Christ? Read the rest of thir- verse 31 from But. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this multitude was loud. These guys were already yelling as loud as they could. Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. They were crying out. They had their voices. For them to even be able to have a chance for Jesus to hear them would have had to have been octaves higher than these hundreds or thousands of people. Well, now they come and shush them. What do they do? they got to yell even louder. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. You could say, really, that their cry became more desperate. Or you could even say that they had to cry out with all their hearts so that Jesus would hear them. Because they, these, Jesus and all these disciples and multitudes, they just kept walking. Now I want you to think of their situation. Because what they did is they really became a thorn and the multitude sides, they, they really became annoying to all these followers of Christ. They became like a thorn in their flesh, like, you know, they just were like a nail, like a nail, like a hammer hitting a nail, you know, into your head. Just like, they just wouldn't stop, and they just got louder, and these multitudes, I just want these guys to go away. Why don't they just go away? So before you judge them, and before you think, well, why? I mean, man, I mean, so what? They, they would have gotten to see him again. I want you to think of their situation like this. If you were in the middle of the ocean, in a sinking rowboat surrounded by hungry sharks, and you were going down fast, and all of a sudden you see this large cruise ship coming your way, and it starts to pass you by like it wasn't going to stop, what would you do? Well, when you saw it off in the distance, you'd start jumping up if you could without rocking, you know, without rocking the boat too much because the boat could, could you know, capsize. But you'd start waving your arms and yelling, hey, boat, hey, we're over here. We're, boat's going down. Help! Well, as this boat keeps going by and keeps traveling by because this boat has every possibility to save you, you, what are you going to do? It doesn't look like it's going to stop. You're going to jump up and down. You're going to, oh my gosh, Lord, help, please. I'll save us. Help, help. You're going to yell even louder. Help us, please. Help us. You're going you're gonna to scream with all your heart. Voice is going to get hoarse. You, you, you may even just, I don't care that the sharks are there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump over them and I'm going to try to swim. Maybe I can catch hold. I mean, the sharks are going to get you anyway, right? I mean, the boat's not stopping. Your boat's going down fast. Just jump in. You might as well and try to swim for it. And maybe, just maybe, you'll get there. Sharks will probably get you before that. But nevertheless, you'll try anyway. Well, this is how these guys were looking at their help passing on by. Like a big ship that kept on going by in your little old rowboat that was going down. Think about their situation like this. They knew Jesus was a great healer. And they had heard of him healing many people, even of their own infirmities. And they knew that Jesus could heal their incurable infirmity. And that this may be, just may be the only time that they would have ever got a chance 
to be around Jesus and ask him for help. They were in desperation for help. And they knew this man can help us. We're tired of being like we are. We need help. If we don't get this man's attention right now, we're going to die like this and we're not going to live much longer. We need this man's help. Please, Jesus, Son of David, help us have mercy on us. Do you see why they cried out the way that they did? Because if it were me, I would have done the same thing as they did. And the Bible here says, guess what? That they were blind, not stupid. Okay? There's a difference. You're blind, but it doesn't mean you're stupid. They knew help was there. Okay? So does their desperate cry for help get Jesus' attention? Verse 32. So Jesus stood still. This is where the title of the sermon comes from, by the way. Their desperate cry made him stand still. The only reason that Jesus stopped was because he heard their desperate cries and screams for help. He and the multitudes were walking and they weren't going to stop. Jesus was surrounded by a sea of people Maybe he didn't even see him. Now, being God, he might have known they were there, but he had probably walked by hundreds of blind people throughout his or within his three and a half years of ministry. But it doesn't say that he stops. But for these guys, these humble blind beggars, cry out with such desperation that it makes Jesus stand still. Look what Psalm one forty seven eleven says. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. What did these guys cry out? Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. These guys had hope in His mercy. They had faith. That Jesus Christ was this Psalm 146, 5 through 9. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps them forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down, or you could say humble. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He he relieves the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. They knew that this man that was passing before them was the God of Jacob, was the Messiah, was the one that could heal their blind eyes, and they had hope in his mercy, so they cried out to him in desperation, and what did he do? He stands still. Wow. In case you're wondering, the best way to get God's attention and cause him to stand still today And listen to you is to humble yourself and cry out to him with all your heart and put your absolute total trust in him in everything and in every area of your life. And if you do that like these blind beggars did, Jesus Christ will stand still for you too and listen to your cry of desperation as well. And it didn't only cause him to stand still. But he, read the rest of 32, he asks, he calls to them and says, what do you want me to do for you? He calls out to them and he says, you know what? Come on, guys. So he gets the multitude because, you know, they would have never been able to find their way to Jesus. The multitude go have to go get these guys. 
And they have to bring him to wherever Jesus was in the crowd. And Jesus, when he sees them, they can't see him. They just have to hope that, hey, I'm in front of the Messiah. What do you want me to do for you? The desperate, their desperate plea causes him to be willing to help them. So Jesus asks them what he can do for them. And they respond by 33. They're right there. They hear him. They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Lord, we want you to heal our eyes. We want to be free of being blind. Side note here. Interesting note here. Did Jesus not know that these guys were blind? Why did he ask them, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, they were blind. Wasn't it obvious that they needed healing of their blindness? Did he not know their need? Of course he knew their need. He is the God of Psalm 139, 1 through 4, where David writes, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you knew it all together. So he was the God that knows our words even before we say them. He's the God that knows our thoughts from afar off. So I ask again, why did he need to ask these guys what their problem was and what they needed, even though he obviously could see their problem? Why did Jesus ask them for their specific need when he already knew it? Because you see, Jesus shows us here the biblical principle that he and God, you know, pretty much all throughout the Bible, what they say, what they want. They want us to be specific when they talk to them about needing something. God knows every need that you have. God knows every desire of your heart. He knows every desire that we want. Everything that we could ever want, he already knows it. Yet he still says Come to me and pray. If you start to think about it in a human intellect, why would I ever have to pray? Because God knows everything I want. Yet the Bible says, pray. Well, because God shows us that he wants us to talk to him. We, we need him. And the only way you need someone is you go to them and you talk to them. And you be specific in your prayers with what you need with God and the things that you're requesting of God. Examples of scripture in Luke 11, 1 through 13, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what does Jesus do? He says this, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus taught the disciples to ask for provisions. But doesn't God already know your provisions? Well, of course he does. But we're still supposed to be specific about our needs. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Okay? So God desires us to be specific when we pray and when we talk to him. First John 1 John 1.9, John writes... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness. Now, now, if we just say, God, forgive me for all our sins or for all my sins, is that what God wants? No. John says, if we confess our sins, God, I did this. God, I did this today. God, I did that wrong today. God, I did this wrong today. This is what God wants. Why? God, John just doesn't say... John just doesn't say, confess just all sins at once, just clump them all together and just say, God, forgive me for my sins. No, he says, forgive us of, he says, if we confess, if we confess our sins, meaning each thing that we do wrong on a daily basis, we're supposed to confess, God, I got angry today. God, I did this today. God, I did that today. Because God wants us to be specific when we pray to him. And we see that here. Jesus asked these blind beggars, which he knew their need, what do you want me to do for you? He wanted them to ask. 
what they needed. He wants you to ask him every day what you need. He wants you to ask him every day or, or pray to him and ask him for forgiveness of each specific sin that you commit on a daily basis. So God wants you to be specific about what you pray about. So after these guys are specific for, with their prayer, with their need to him, does Jesus help them? They humble themselves. These guys are full of faith. They're crying out for mercy from the Son of David, from Messiah. Does he help them? Read verse 34. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. He has compassion on them. Did you see that? Because of their heart cry and their situation and he heals their eyes immediately. So because of their desperate heart cry, let this sink into your mind. Jesus had compassion on them. That's why he stopped. Because he knew their need, and they were crying out to him desperately. They knew they could only come to him for their help. And this is why he stopped, because he had compassion for them. Isn't the love that Christ demonstrates here amazing? He shows us again, for God so loved the world. God is a God of love. He loves every person in the world. He demonstrates these verses to these guys here. Psalm 148, 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He also will hear their cry and save them. Romans 10, 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is, is Lord over all, or for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts 2.21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So these guys call on the name of the Lord. They call upon His mercy. And they say, Lord, have mercy on us. Save us. Set us free from this blindness. Please, O Lord, have mercy on us. God showed me years ago that in those verses, when these people are writing about God's salvation, that it's not just God save me from hell and damnation. It's God, I am struggling with this situation. Lord, these things aren't going right in my life. My life is falling apart, or this is wrong, or that's wrong, and oh my gosh, Lord, I'm, I'm out of control, I'm, I'm losing control, I'm out of, Lord, save me. Help me, Lord, and save me from what I'm going through. And the Bible says there that if you call in the name of the Lord, that you shall be saved. God will help you because it's in His Word, and He's a man of His Word, and He promises to you that if you need help and you call upon Him to be saved from whatever, that He would come and He would help you in your situation, and He would save you. God wants to save you from every terrible or evil situation or problem that you could ever go through or that you're even going through right now. He longs that you would call out to him so that he can rescue you and save you. And you know what? Jesus and God, they haven't changed one bit in all the time since Matthew wrote this gospel. Since these disciples were standing around Jesus and Jesus did this with these blind beggars, Jesus hasn't changed one bit. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ and God are still able to do the things that they did in their word here in the Bible. They're still able to do them today. They're still able to rescue us today the same way they rescued people in their word. 
Psalm 145, 8-9, the Bible says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies are, above, or are over all His works. So my question to you today is this. Are you in desperate need? Is your life falling apart? Are you not saved? Are you like these two blind beggars were? Desperate, down and out, just vagabonds, beggars? Worthless to their society, they knew that they were. Is that how you feel today? In my past, I have had times of desperation, times of hurt, times of lots of pain. I have wept and my heart has been broken for the salvation of others. My heart has been broken over my own sin many a times. You name it, I've been there. Crushed, broken, in desperation, just like these guys that we read about in this scripture today. And what did I do? I have humbled myself like these two blind beggars here in today's scripture. I have cried out to God with all my heart. And I know that God in Christ stood still for me when I cried out to them. Because he, I know he heard my prayer because I got an answer to my prayer. He helped me. He made the situation work out right. He delivered me from whatever I was going through. God of heaven and earth did this for me just like he did with these blind beggars here today in Matthew 20, 29 through 34. A year or two back, I was painting my garage outside. And as I was standing there, I had a, my very dear aunt in another state was very sick. And she was on her deathbed. And she was very old. And she did not know the Lord. And I was painting my garage And all of a sudden, I just started thinking about her. And I got so sand in my heart. And I started to cry out to the God of heaven and earth. I started to cry out to Jesus Christ, exactly like these blind beggars did here in this scripture. Lord, please give her another chance. Lord, please give her another chance. I know she's old and she doesn't know you yet and she's rejected your whole life, but now, Lord, please give her another chance. She's about to die. I don't want her to die and go to hell. Please, Lord, give her another chance. And I prayed fervently. I cried out to Jesus just like these blind beggars did in our scripture today. And today, my aunt told me yesterday, That at some time during that time, she saw a red light. She thought she saw hell, and I don't doubt it at all. She came out of it, she snapped out of it, and she turned her life to God because she knew that I was right all the years that I preached to her and talked to her about the Lord. And she turned her life to the Lord, and she doesn't doubt for a minute when we talked yesterday that it was my prayer that day when I was painting my garage, the one that brought her unto God the way she is today. So I know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know the God of the Bible, and I know Jesus Christ. Stand still if we call unto Him in desperation for whatever help that we are in need of. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard things are, no matter how bad things are, no matter how low you feel, God is there for you. And He wants you to cry out to Him in desperation and reverence Him and humble yourself and come unto Him and ask for help. Oh Lord, have mercy on me, Son of David, I need help with. And then you fill in the blank. Whenever you are in desperation for today, God will stand still and hear you if you humble yourself. If you cry out to him with all your heart like these blind beggars did in this passage of scripture today and you put your faith in his ability to help you. God wrote through Peter, 1 Peter 5, 5-7, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. So the question is, not does God have the help that you need today. 
The question is, is God there for you in your problem, in your bad situation, in your terrible life? The question is, will you cry out to Him? Will you humble yourself? Will you hit your knees on that floor? Will you cry out to God with all your heart like these blind beggars did today? And will you cry out to Him for mercy? And will you ask Him for help to get through whatever you're going through? Will you humble yourself today? Will you cry out to God to have mercy on you and fix your problem because you can't fix it yourself? And that's one of the biggest things with God. See, a lot of times in our humanness, we try to fix our problems in our own self, in our own strength. I got this. I I can manage this situation. Even though you're falling apart, your boat is sinking, and the sharks are all around you, you think, I got this. I can do this all by myself. And God's just sitting up in heaven, just waiting. I see my son's in trouble, but is he going to call on me? Oh, wait, wait, what's that cry? And God will stop for you if you'll just stop and humble yourself and cry out to him and ask him for help. I hope you do. He's walking by you right now with whatever bad situation you may be in. He's walking by you right now. Because you're listening to this message and you hear me and we're talking about what we're talking about. It's no coincidence if you're going through something right now. No coincidence that you're hearing this message because he's walking by you right now. He's asking you. I'm asking you. Will you cry out to him and call upon him and cause him to stand still? This may be the last time that you get that Jesus Christ is walking by you that He may hear you. It's up to you. I hope you will, because I know He will help you with your problem or trouble or whatever you've got going on in your life right now. If only you'll humble yourselves like these blind guys. If you'll call on His name, if you'll cry out to Him for help, and if you'll just say, God, I need you, I need your help, please help me, Jesus. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Please do it, and don't wait, and don't be prideful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for this word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the example of these two blind guys. Because, Lord, they, they just desperately needed you. They desperately needed your help. And I know that there's people out here listening to me, wherever they are that are listening to this message, that need your help just like these blind guys whether it's a sickness or whether it's an ailment or whether it's an illness or whether it's a problem in their life or whether their life's falling apart or whether they're, they're maybe they're not even saved and they want to be. And Lord, I know that, Lord, that there's people out there that need you like these blind guys needed you. I just pray, Lord God, that today, right now, Lord God, that they would hit their knees and cry out to you in desperation, putting all their hope in you putting all their hope on your mercy because, Lord, your word says that you are rich in mercy. You're rich in mercy, Lord. And all we read in Acts, all who call upon the name of the Lord should be saved. Not just salvation for eternal life, Lord, but salvation for whatever life is bringing us today. So I pray, Lord, that today, People would stop. And as they see you walking by, as they're listening to this message, and they would fall on their knees and cry out to you, Lord, that you may stop and hear their problem and answer their problems from heaven. Please, Lord, I pray that people would. You long to help. You long to save. You long, you want people to hope in you, but Lord, people don't. They hope in themselves. I just pray, Lord, please call those and draw those. Walk by those that are listening to this message today and show them that you're walking by and that they could cry out to you right now. And I pray that they would. I love you and I praise you, dear God, and I thank you. And I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. 
It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.